Hey, well, I want to I wanna get started, uh, kind of let you guys know, um, I, I know I mentioned it. Why do I mention it? Because we believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of family. Kaylee's getting checked out right now, uh, right now, uh, right now, um, <laughs> sounding like I'm back in Lancaster, South Carolina, right now. Where's Jake Norris? Is he here? He understood what I was saying. Uh, but hey, she's getting checked out right now. They're going to take her to the hospital just to make sure that everything's okay with the baby. But her vitals are looking good. Her blood sugar was low, um, and that, that's coming back up now as well. So let's continue to pray for her. But, but let's talk about last week a little bit. Man, last week we had 16 baptisms. I, I don't know if you were here, but I got excited because of baptisms. We had dads and sons getting baptized together. We had sons baptizing sons and Dads baptizing sons, baptizing sons. Nope, that didn't happen. Uh, dads baptizing sons and ba- dads baptizing daughters and all that good stuff. And I- I'm excited for what God is doing. I'm excited for our next baptism. Listen, if you want to get baptized, you don't have to have a tank up here in the middle of the church. I'll take you to the lake and baptize you today if you want to get baptized. But we believe in the power of baptisms. Why? Because that is your outward expression of your inward relationship with Jesus. That's why you get baptized. Hey, two more quick announcements. The first one is this, that women's retreat coming up June the 9th through the 11th. Make sure you scan that QR code if you've signed up for it. Ladies, y'all didn't make any noise for the women's retreat. The guys are already going to beat you. Fellas, our retreat's coming up in August. (laughs) We're louder. I like it. I like it. Also, we have our Multipliers 101 class happening today right after service. That's an opportunity for you to dive into your divine design, for you to dive into who God has called you to be. Where are you called to serve in the church? Where are you called to serve in the local and greater community? We believe that God has a gift inside of you, and many people just come to church and consume and consume and consume and never use that gift as an outward expression of who Jesus is. One more quick announcement. I know we've said it a few different times, but can we give it up for all the moms in the room? That's what I'm talking about. Hey, right outside the lobby to the left, you'll see that balloon arch. Make sure you take pictures with mama today. Make sure you take pictures and send it to your mama if she's not here. And tell her happy Mother's Day. But again, the series that we're diving into, Living for More. What is this idea of this series, Living for More, unlocking a purpose that's in you on a deeper level? Remember the book of Genesis, and God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and have dominion over it. We said this last week, there's no such thing as secular employment for the believer. Every believer is in full-time ministry. And whoever controls the gates controls the city. Well, Zach, what are the gates? Remember our will, media, government, business, health, family, education, and entertainment. We believe that those are our gates to society, and God has called us to control each of those gates. How? By looking at Ephesians chapter 4 and taking a look at, a look at the gift set that's in, inside of you. For some of you, you're called to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. What, what does that even mean? Before we dive into what that means, we have to understand that Jesus has to be at the center of it all. Regardless of your selfish ambitions, regardless of your desires or my desires for my life, Jesus has to be at the center of everything. He's at the center of it all. And then you have the church, what scripture calls the ecclesia or the assembly of the called. We're called to be in community, to learn from one another, to to be with one another, to pray for one another. Why? So that we can impact the greater community. But for decades, the church has been under attack. 
I mean, think back to the 70s. Some of you in the room can remember back in the 70s where every business was closed on Sunday. And then what happened? Things started opening up more and more and more. And then in the 80s, people viewed church as boring or irrelevant. Well, I don't need to go to church because I don't want to waste an hour and a half of my time. I don't, I don't need that for my life. It's boring and it's irrelevant. And then later on, I don't, I don't, need, I don't need the church. In the early 2000s, that's what we saw. I don't, I don't need the church. I love Jesus. I love Jesus, but I don't, I don't need to be a part of a community. I, I love Jesus, but I can, I can do it by myself. I love Jesus, but as long as I do my own devotional life, I'll be okay. And then that turned into I'm not spiritual, or I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I believe in a higher power. I believe that there's something greater than me, but I'm not sure or I'm not convinced that it's God. I believe there's something out there in the ethos, but I'm not sure if it's what the Bible calls God. I think there's just something greater than me. And then later on in the 2000s, what happened? We started seeing travel sports and we started seeing family events always happen on Sunday. Now, I'm not talking about your vacation. I'm not talking about when you go and, and hang out with your friends and your families, you know, those weeks out of the year. I'm talking about that week in, week out, that, that regardless of what's going on, I'm going to be at that event on Sunday opposed to being at church. And, and then we hear this language, I've been, I've been hurt by the church, so that's why I'm not going to go. I've been, I've been burned by the church. No, you haven't been burned by the church. You've been burned by people in the church. I've been burned by people in the church. We're all a part of humanity. We're all a broken people. People hurt people. FYI. I don't know if you knew that or not, but people hurt people. And so you got out of the church, and then in the last two years, the church has been in a full-on assault from the enemy, doing whatever he can to shut it down. So how does that partner with Ephesians chapter 4? Well, what does that even mean? It means that we're called to take our gift set to the local community and not just be bombarded inside the church. So what's someone with an apostolic gifting? I mean, you're the innovator or the entrepreneur in the room. If you feel like you're an innovator in the room, if you feel like you're an entrepreneur in the room, then I would suggest that you have an Ephesians 4 apostolic gifting inside of you. What about a gift of the prophetic? Man, those are the seers and the reformers in society. Those are the individuals that can kind of see things shaping up. What about the evangelist? Well, evangelists are, stories, are, are storytellers. If you're a good storyteller, I would say that you're probably an evangelist. If you're a gatherer, anytime you open the doors to your house, there's people there, you're probably, or you probably have an evangelistic gift set inside of you. What about, what about shepherds? Well, shepherds are caretakers and healers. It's those two ladies that ran outside as soon as they found out Kaylee passed out. Why? Because one, they're RNs, and two, they just started taking care of her. They, they have that gift set of shepherding inside of them. What about the teachers in the room? You're the individuals that, that want to, to learn and, and share that gift or share that information. You're guides in society. And then we took a look at those seven specific gates. Family, education, government, media, entertainment, business, and health and wellness. But how do we take the gospel message to these areas? Because the gospel, <laughs> this is not going to be a popular statement, but the gospel was not made for the church. 
The gospel was made for the unbeliever. And if we don't take the message of Jesus to the marketplace, we are failing in the great commission. Bill Johnson says this, any gospel that doesn't work in the the marketplace simply doesn't work. We can't just keep the gospel message inside the church. But the million dollar question is how? Because Genesis tells us to have the position of dominion. But the book of Philippians tells us to have the posture of a servant. So living, living for more. How do we attack one of these gates today? Today, I want to talk about the family gate. Well, what does it look like to rebuild the family gate? We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 and, and Genesis chapter 2 today. And at the end of the message, I'll be in John chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, if you got it on your phone, go ahead and turn there so that we can flip there quickly. This past week, I got a voice message from one of my buddies in, in Louisiana. His name's Luke. And, and he told me, I was telling him what was going on with our family. And he said, hey, the enemy's coming after your family pretty hard. How about Sunday morning you punch the enemy in the mouth? So I said, all right. So let's get after it. If you know my personality at all, I was like, you, you daggum right. And I might have not said daggum on the phone. I got to Don't act like y'all don't say words too, all right? Don't judge me. But we had... We had some family challenges this week with Harlow. And I've, I thought since, since we had some family challenges, it would be a good day to talk about family. For those who don't know, I know an email went out. First off, for those who prayed, man, <laughs> I, can't, I can't say thank you enough. But, but for those who don't know, man, this past Wednesday I was at the gym. I just finished a workout. And, uh, man, I was still sucking wind. I was, like, doubled over. And, and Jenna called me. And I answered the phone. And all I could hear was the panic in her voice. And all I could hear was, Zach, get home now. And Jenna starts praying. And then what Jenna told me was, she's not breathing, she's not breathing, she's not breathing. Harlow had fallen over. She hit her head. She was crying. So Jenna walked over and and picked her up. And as Jenna was holding Harlow, she started having a seizure. And in the middle of that seizure, she stopped breathing. Her face turned blue. Her lips turned blue, and all Jenna could say was, hurry up and get home. She's, she's not breathing. She's not breathing. She's not breathing. Jenna starts doing CPR. First off, nobody ever wants to do CPR on a kid. Second off, nobody ever wants to do CPR on your own kid. And I'm on the other side of the phone, and I'm just looking at, literally, I'm speeding. <laughs> side note, um, if cops start to chase you when you're on your way home, when your daughter had a seizure, don't stop for the cops, all right? I can officially say I've outran the cops three times now. So, I'll tell you about the first two at a different time. But I remember speeding, lights come on behind me. I roll down my window. I'm like, dude, you got to come on. I'm, not, I'm cussing him out because he's going too slow, right? But I'm, I'm hammered down, and I just remember looking at my phone, and I watched the, the seconds just tick up. Three minutes in. She's not breathing, she's not breathing, she's not breathing. About 3.20, all Jenna started doing was saying, Jesus. Jesus, you got to do something. Jesus, you got to help her. About 3.33, 3.34, Jenna said, Harlow's starting to breathe. I, I, realized, I realized this past Wednesday how important family really is. I can't, it's even hard for me to stand here and share this story. It's fresh. 
I still haven't processed it. Jen and I were trying to process it last night. We were talking about it. We both kind of broke down a little bit. I, I don't understand why things happen the way they do. I don't understand how things happen the way they do. But I know that we serve a good God, and regardless of the outcome, Jesus still works all things together for good. But I understand now more than ever the importance of family, and God is calling us to bring back this order and love into families and into our society. I know that the family unit is under attack. I know there's controversy surrounding the family. There's controversies like fatherlessness. There's controversies like divorce or abuse or homosexual marriage. There, there's controversies of pornography in our society. And what, what science tells us is this, that when the nuclear family breaks down, that society breaks down. Zach, what do you mean? When the nuclear family, how God intended it, breaks down, then this is what happens in our society. There's an increase in crime. There's an increase in me, uh, mental illness. Statistically, there's an increase in cyclical poverty. I thought the best message I could preach on Mother's Day would be a message of, of upholding biblical family values. Listen, there, there's, two side, there's two sides of a coin. And if I take away one side of the coin, I didn't just take away one side of the coin. It ceases to be a coin. If, if I take away one side of the coin, then it loses all of its value. If a coin loses its value, then it loses its power. The same thing is true with the gospel message. The gospel message on one side is truth. On the other side is love. If I take one of those away, it ceases to be the gospel message. And if it ceases to be the gospel message, then it loses its power. If we're going to be a church that talks about the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus, then, that we, then we have to be a church that talks about the truth. We have to look at what the Bible says. And there's three key components that I want to mention before we get started today. The first one is this. This is not political, but it's spiritual. It doesn't matter what I think. It only matters what the Bible says. And the third one is this. To those who have walked through this or have family members walking through this, we love you. And we're here for you. I'm not preaching on something that I haven't walked through with my family myself. In Genesis chapter 2, and God breathed into Adam and gave him life. And God said, it's not good that man should be alone. In the, in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, God set the building block of humanity and society as a family. Let me finish reading verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that you may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Verse 31 is key. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. If I want to live in the goodness, beauty, truth, and peace as society, then we have to live the way that God intended when we rebuild the family gate in our society, how do we do it? We do it by affirming the beauty, dignity, uh, the beauty, dignity, and holiness of birth gender. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, 
He created them. What, what I'm understanding is that the universe is vast. And we discover more and more to our own solar system every single day. I mean, take the earth, for example, by itself. The depths of the oceans, the, the heights of the mountains. And, and, and think about animals. Now, one thing that Piper and I love to do at night is we lay in bed. Now, this is a tactic she uses so that she doesn't have to go to sleep. But we lay in bed, and she just wants to look at animals. And, and she, lo- she loves just scrolling through, and she loves looking at polar bears. She loves looking at elephants, and she loves looking at birds with all their colors. She loves looking at fish. She loves looking at sharks and whales. She, she loves looking at all of these things. But nothing except humanity is created in the image of God, and that image is male and female. It's, it's this illusion of truth. Listen, I could stand up here all day long and say, my hair is purple. And y'all look back at me and go, nope, pretty sure it's red. And I could say something along the lines of, uh, I could say something along the lines like, no, it's, it's purple. It is what I want it to be. It's the illusion of truth. There was an article that was written recently, and this was the title, How Liars Create the Illusion of Truth. Nazi Joseph Goebbels wrote this, Repeat a lie long enough and often enough, and it becomes the truth. Just because something is repeated over and over and over again does not make it true. Just because a man says he's a woman does not make it true. Just because a woman says he's a man doesn't make it true. Repetition is not truth. Only truth is truth. Hear my heart. We rebuild the family gate in our society, number two, by affirming the beauty, dignity, and holiness of marriage between one man and one woman. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, And the Lord said to them, It is not good for man to be alone, and I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Verse 20, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Verse 21, so the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of man, and he brought it to him. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Verse 24, that is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Let me go back to my original statement. To those who have walked through this or have family members walking through this, we love you and we're here for you. And it's something that I've walked through in my own family. I'm not just standing up here going, you need to do this. It's a difficult situation to walk through. There's knots to untangle. There's emotions to untangle. There's things that you might not fully understand. But what does the Bible say? This is what I know. We rebuild the family gate and our society by affirming the beauty, dignity, and holiness to the right of life. Anytime we read through scripture, Satan is always trying to murder the next generation. Look at the book of Leviticus. Look at Molech. He was a god for the Ammonites. 
And he required that kids be sacrificed. Every time there was about to be a mighty move of God, Satan tried to murder a generation of kids. Think back to Pharaoh and Herod. Both of them wanted to kill a generation. Pharaoh, right before there was a mighty move of God and the deliverance of God's people, Pharaoh began to kill the Hebrew babies. Think back to Herod right before there was a mighty move of God in bringing deliverance. Herod murdered every boy that was under two years old. Listen, science will scream, we found life on Mars because of bacteria. But that same science will say that a baby is not alive because it's still inside of a mother and it's just not born yet. Where's the line to life? And I've heard this statement before. I've heard this statement, well, pastor, you can't legislate morality. That's absolutely false. You can absolutely legislate morality. In fact, I would suggest that the entire purpose of legislation is to legislate morality. Well, where do you get that from? Well, that's why you can't murder somebody. You're legislating morality. That's why you can't walk into someone's house and take whatever you want. That's called theft. That's legislating morality. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, It may be true that the law cannot make a man love me, but it can stop him from lynching me. And I think that's pretty important. 1973, Roe v. Wade. It was a landmark decision of the U.S. Supreme Court in which the court ruled that the Constitution of the United States protects a pregnant woman's liberty to choose to have an abortion without excessive government restriction. scary thing to think about read a post this past week for those who know what's going on with Roe v. Wade in society and the author wrote this if Roe v. Wade is overturned it does not mean that the church has won it means that there's more work to be done whether it's voting for volunteering in or financially supporting programs ministries and nonprofits we must be pro mothers pro children and pro young women we must put our money where our mouths are we must be pro life by actively being the hands and the feet of Jesus I want to talk about who we are at this church and what we stand for what we value if you tithe, if you give, if you're part of Kingdom Builders, we support Gate Pregnancy Center. And I want to read two quick stories and try not to get choked up. It was Monday morning. We had two back-to-back abortions, abortion-determined clients. The first client sat quietly with the advocate, never making eye contact contact and texting away on her phone not skipping a beat the advocate shared the gospel message and stopped midway since there was no sign of engagement from the client a brisk go on I'm listening sent the advocate back into motion with simultaneously prayers towards God to break the hold that Satan had on this young client the advocate knew it was a spiritual battle and carried on while the client remained seemingly disconnected next the client went to the ultrasound room where she saw her baby and heard the heartbeat the once quiet and detached mother-to-be 
became a completely different person as she laughed and started to ask questions. She mentioned that she was texting with her sister who was about as far along as she was telling her to come to gate because we were friendly. Who would have known? The next client showed up with her two young, overly active boys and breaking policy, we brought books and chairs in the room for the boys while we performed the ultrasound. She had no intention of keeping the baby. The baby's father was in jail and she wanted nothing to do with him. She was homeless and jobless with two rambunctious boys challenging her all day long. She couldn't imagine adding another baby into her life. The ultrasound began with two nurses, one observed while the other performed the ultrasound. But neither nurse could find a heartbeat. They tried and tried and tried with no avail. The nurse manager mentioned they were struggling to find a baby's heartbeat. And as only God could do, the client began, the client being told her baby may not have a heartbeat began to worry. Now the baby had importance. Her mothering instinct to protect her baby kicked in. And one nurse stepped out and went to the staff area and asked for prayer to find the baby's heartbeat. And prayer began immediately. When she returned, when she returned to the patient, they tried one more time. And there it was. The precious pounding of her baby's strong heart mom was relieved and instantly felt a bond because she was having this baby church what I know is that the family unit is under attack and we have to take back this gate Tom Stafford wrote this repetition makes a fact seem more true regardless of whether it is or not understanding this effect can help you avoid falling to propaganda Repetition can make known lies sound more believable. Just because something is repeated doesn't mean that it's true. Just because society and culture says it's okay to be transgender does not make it true. Just because society says you can sleep around with whoever you want, whenever you want, however you want, wherever you want, doesn't make it true. Just because the the society and culture says that, that the family structure isn't, isn't important, doesn't make it true. Go back to Joseph Goebbels. If you tell a lie big enough and you keep on repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. He went on to say this, the lie can be maintained only for such time as the state can shield the people from the political economic and or military consequences of the lie it thus becomes vitally important for the state to use all its powers to repress dissent for the truth is the mortal enemy of the lie and thus by extension the truth is the greatest enemy of the state Lisa Fazio from Vanderbilt University writes this in one of her articles at first look this looks like bad news for human rationality But, and she writes, I cannot emphasize this strongly enough, when interpreting psychological science, you have to look at the actual numbers. The repetition effect couldn't mask the truth. 
with or without repetition, people were still more likely to believe the actual facts opposed to the lies. This shows something fundamental about how we update our beliefs. Repetition has a power to make things sound more true, even when we know differently. But it does not override knowledge. What's she saying? Just because something's repeated over and over and over again doesn't make truth not true. But part of guarding against the illusion is the obligation it puts on us to stop repeating falsehoods. We live in a world where the facts matter and should matter. If you repeat things without bothering to check if they are true, you are helping to make a world where lies and truth are easier to confuse. So please think before you repeat. This all comes to a head for me in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8 verse 31, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, not the teaching that you want to hold to, not, not the teaching that you subscribe to, not the teaching that makes you feel good, not the teaching that doesn't challenge you, not the teaching that, that makes you uncomfortable. If you, follow, if you follow my teaching, then you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth and what? And the truth will set you free. Jesus goes on to say, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. It's an important verse. But you have to go back to the beginning of John chapter 8. Because that's just as important. What does Jesus say in John chapter 8 verse 7? He says this to the religious leaders who throw this woman at Jesus' feet. They're ready to stone her. And he says, let any one of you who is without sin throw the first stone. Now, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but the stones that they used in, in the Bible to stone people, they weren't like pebbles. <laughs> they were the size of baseballs or, or bigger. So all across this room, we've placed stones. Hey, if you sat in a chair with a stone, can you stand up for me? Don't try to pass your stone to the person beside you. If you sat in the chair as your stone, all right, you don't get to pass it off. Own your junk, all right? We try to pass off our junk to other people, right? Like, I don't, I don't want this. Somebody else take it. Hey, this is what I, this is what I want you to do. It'll make us a little uncomfortable. All right, I want everybody with a stone on this side of the room. If y'all can kind of walk up, just leave the center aisle open. But can y'all walk up to the front? Everybody just walk up. Same side on this side of the room. Can y'all just kind of walk up to the front? You got your stones. Man. Squeeze on in. Come on up. Squeeze on in. Get out of the, get out of the aisle. There you go. That works. See, I think when we read scripture, what happens, we, we like to read ourselves as the hero, and we want to read ourselves as Jesus. We, we want to read ourselves as Jesus in this moment, but I promise you, we're not Jesus. I promise you, every single one of us at some point in our life has, has either been the woman or you've been the sucker holding the stone. 
And, and for this illustration, I'm going to play the woman. <laughs> Y'all got some stones in your hand. They're kind of big. I bet they hurt if you threw them at me. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, hey, the one of you, the one of you that has no sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. And, and I, I had to think about this story because many times I've been, many times I've been the woman. And many times I've, I've been in situations in my life and, and done things that I'm not proud of. Listen, if you're looking for a pastor and a staff that acts like they got it all together and acts like they're holier than thou, go somewhere else. Because we, we don't. As sure as I'm sitting right here before you, I mean, I can tell you that I'm not proud of it, but I've had sex multiple times before marriage. I mean, I, I, can, I can tell you as sure as I sit here that I've, I've bought a Plan B pill. I've given it to a girl. It's things that I'm, things that I'm not proud of. We all have junk that we're not proud of. I could imagine being the woman sitting at Jesus' feet thinking, this is it for me. It's over for me. And then Jesus makes the statement, hey, the one that is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, Scripture says that they threw their stones down. So I'm, I'm going to brace myself for a second. <laughs> Again, this was a really good illustration until this moment. But hey, if you've, got, if you've got no sin in your life, if you've never messed up, if you've never let anybody down, if you've never done the wrong thing, if you've made every correct and right decision in your life and you feel like you're on equal playing fields with God, then wind up and throw it at me. But if you feel like you've had sin at some point in your life, well, Scripture says that they tossed down their stone. Zach Witt's translation, they made their way back to their seat. So who, who doesn't have sin? If you don't have sin, throw the stones at me. If you have sin, drop the stones. See, see, what happens, what happens is we, we are a culture and society that tries to carry around. We want to carry around our stones. And we want to say, I, I don't know if I believe what they believe. And if I don't believe it, then I'm going to try to open up my bag and I'm just going to start slinging stones at people. We don't know what people have been walking through. We don't know what type of life they've lived, but, but we're not called to throw stones. Jesus says, if you don't have sin, toss the stone. But if you have sin, drop it. What would happen if we just all started dropping our stones? You guys can kind of make your way back to your seats. What, what would happen? What would happen if this was a picture of society, if we just began to drop our stones at the feet of Jesus, let any one of you who is without sin throw the first stone at her. And one by one, they dropped their stones. They walked away. He looks at the woman and he says, has anyone condemned you? Then neither do I condemn you. 
go and sin no more. Hey, maybe, maybe you're sitting in the room and you feel a little uncomfortable right now. Hey, maybe you're in the room and you've had an abortion before. Maybe you're, maybe you're in the room and you struggle with same-sex identity and attraction. Maybe you're living together. Maybe you're having sex outside of marriage. Maybe you've gone through a divorce. Can I, can I remind you of the words of Jesus, not my words, of the words of Jesus? Has anyone condemned you? Jesus would say to you this morning, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is what I'm going to ask just for a few minutes all across this room. Can we stand and step back into worship? Hey, thanks for joining us today at Multiply Church. We can't wait to see you again next week, either in person or online, as we continue to love Jesus and change the world.